0: Hello and good day, Marvelous Podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in the world, that you are healthy, that you are happy, that you are making the most out of these trying times on the planet. I am sending you all of my love, good wishes, and support through the airwaves. I am doing as many podcasts as I can to find empowering perspectives on this situation. If you want to support the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever. You can support on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair, you can join the academy and get access to the absolutely phenomenal Soul Compass course that will teach you how to use your natural GPS system to create a life of of meaning purpose and extraordinary living by your own definitions and you can get that at bit.ly forward slash mind body spirit 21 and during this time i'm doing a pay as you want so just dm me uh, send me an email anywhere mad at zenathlete.com let me know what you can pay happy to put you through that course and get you access to all the amazing exclusive content and training over there and for those of you guys who are interested in coaching just hit me up mad at zenathlete.com some people want to use this time to do course And level up and I am happy to support you. So I hope that you're doing well. Let's get into this amazing episode. But first, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose, filling every cell, every muscle and fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, strength, inner knowing, and ready to take on this amazing episode. Hello, and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. When you're first diagnosed with cancer, or you have a loved one who is, you need a confidant, someone who knows what you're going through because they've been there and can answer the tough questions you have. Today's guest is that source. He is a physician who was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2014, By integrating a holistic, functional approach to his traditional treatment regimen, he beat the disease into remission and kept it there. His new book, From Doctor to Patient, Healing Cancer Through Mind, Body, and Spirit, takes readers inside his remarkable journey through heartfelt narrative passages that highlight the importance of balancing the mind, body, and spirit for optimal health. Peppered throughout, readers will find medical crash courses that will give them valuable information on topics such as inflammation, the difference between chemotherapy and immunotherapy, the role of gut myomes, and much more. These call-outs provide valuable building blocks that will be useful to readers both fighting a medical battle of their own or simply trying to live a smarter, healthier life. His story points a picture of hope that'll empower everybody to look carefully at their lives and create change that matters. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nagula.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm happy you're here. Um, I read. There's actually a longer bio that they sent me, and your whole entire story is incredibly fascinating. And I'm so excited to have you on because. This topic is obviously something that affects millions of people. It would be absolutely terrifying to receive a diagnosis like that and i 'm just happy to have you on to share your story and your experience as somebody who is an actual physician, a medical doctor, but also using at uh, looking at holistic ways of healing disease and looking at disease in general. So I feel like your your input is going to be invaluable and so can you just share a little bit about your background in and, and some of how you got to where you are today and to writing the book and, and all the amazing things you've been through so far.
1: So a lot of my story unfolded and changed. Uh, it was a big 180-degree change uh, right before I got the diagnosis um, in 2014. So I had exited my medical practice at the end of 2012 and was turning uh, a new chapter into my life. I, was, I had just gotten married I was ready to start a family with my wife, and things were looking really well for me for the first time in many years. Prior to that, I had gone to the rigors of, of uh, starting a medical practice um, from the ground up, from scratch, growing it, and having to see a lot of patients and oversee the administration perspective of the entire practice, You know, the accounting, the billing, uh, the marketing you know, everything that you can imagine goes into business. I was overseeing that, partaking in it, and also seeing patients at the same time. So it was a lot of stress that was involved right before I exited my practice. So that one year that I was off, and uh, I was just really ready to live life to the fullest for the first time. And it was when I went to the doctor's office at the end of the year, I was actually, um, it was a first physical that I had in many years. And I was complaining that I had these bump stubbers on my neck and I was feeling totally fine. I didn't have any issues with fatigue or any discomfort anywhere. I was just living my life as happy as could be. I thought it was some kind of a cyst that was on my neck. And uh, when I went to the doctor's office, I basically asked, I was like, you know, this is the issue that's going on right now. Can you take a look at it? I, I, it might need to be referred to a dermatologist to get it removed. He looked at me and he had this concerned look on his face and I'd known him for many years as a colleague, again, as, as a, a patient of his. And his look was one of those looks where there was something wrong and it got me concerned. And what he told me was, well, let's, let's take a look and see, uh, let me examine you, examine me. And he felt my lymph nodes and he did a whole like examination. And after he finished the examination, he said, well, let's do this. Your blood work looks really good but let's get some uh, uh, x-rays and some um, imaging studies of your head and neck. And I immediately said, what, what's, why, what's going on? And he's like, well, your lymph nodes are enlarged. And I didn't even think that it was my lymph nodes, but it was. And he says that we know that if the lymph nodes are large, there could be large because of a couple of things. You are going through a inflammatory reaction. Your immune system is working hard or, you know, this could be something that could be cancer related. That's when, Things were really a little scared for me when he said that uh, cancer. Uh, so he got a CAT scan of my head and neck and then I came back a few weeks later and it was wh- it was at that point when he said to me, he goes, your lymph nodes are completely enlarged. I took a look at the scans and my lymph nodes from my head and neck all the way down into my armpit were just extremely enlarged. To give you a frame of reference, most lymph nodes are between one and two millimeters my lymph nodes at the time was like one to two centimeters. So it was really, really enlarged. Even though I was feeling fi- fine at the time, he told me, he said, we need to send you to an oncologist for a further workup. And when I went to the oncologist's offices, I didn't even know why I was going. I was like, I feel fine. I feel great. But I understand as a, as, a, as a doctor and as a patient, that's what I needed to do. That was the best next step. Uh, the oncologist had me run through a series of tests. We had a bone marrow biopsy, a lymph node biopsy, all very uncomfortable. And finally, after all these tests were done, these battery tests, I, my, my wife at the time and I went together to see him and, and he extended the diagnosis of, of stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was at this point that everything just shifted and turned. Uh, I, I didn't even... Listen to the diagnosis. It just came in one ear and out the other. I couldn't process it. it was I was in literally in a state of shock when the diagnosis was made for me, made to me. Um, my wife at the time was 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 pretty upset and crying. And for me, the one thing that I needed to do in my mind was I had to go research and I had to research why I got the cancer. I mean, we, we studied this in medical school, but not enough. Um, I knew a little bit about a lymphoma, but not enough to to understand the um, the etiology or where it came from and understand how to treat it. For me it was let's go dig in the books let's go you know figure out what's wrong and fix it because that's my mentality it's, that's how it's always been if there's a problem I'm going to try and solve it. In this specific case I was reading a ton and what came to mind what I discovered was that it was my my own doing my own lifestyle that was the cause of all this problem. It wasn't a genetic disease. It wasn't something that was handed to me from my parents. It was. It was basically my lifestyle that contributed to me developing stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I had to research this, and I went to all the. I went to a bunch of couple. I went to a, a few other specialists for a second opinion. And uh, it's funny because this this first doctor, it was a private doctor in the community of where I was living. And he wanted to start me on the most aggressive form of chemotherapy. And I was like, whoa, wait, let me, let me, let me just think about this and do some research. I go to two academic institutions, Sloan Kettering in New York and Mayo Clinic in Florida. And both, were, both physicians at these institutions told me that I did not have to have, uh, at this time, the most aggressive form of treatment, which is the chemo that they were wanting to me to push on me. And I realized at that point that this doctor had secondary gain. It was a private practice and he owned an infusion center and he wanted to funnel me into his infusion center to basically get the money and revenue from, from the chemo that he was going to prescribe for me. That was very upsetting. But what was comforting was that there were other physicians that uh, refuted his, his mode of treatment and they both agreed. They wanted me to go through what was called a watch and wait period, which is where, because my cancer, even it was, it was aggressive, it was stage four, but because I was feeling fine and I didn't have any symptoms, that they, I had an opportunity to watch and wait and to see if the cancer could regress. So in my mind, I said to myself, okay, this is an opportunity where I can actually change my lifestyle and possibly regress my cancer on its own so that I won't have to have any treatment at all. So this is where I decided to implement all these strategies that I had learned from my research. Um, and at the time, I was going back into school to study integrative medicine under Dr. Andy Weil at University of Arizona. And I, with all the strategies that they were teaching with my research, I was, like, I was armed to basically figure out ways and strategies to employ for myself to re- have my cancer regress. So the first thing that I did was, was to change my diet. And that was the most important thing and um, that I had to change because cancer feeds off, uh, feeds off of sugar. And for me, I had to eliminate sugary foods. And I also had to eliminate what I was eating. I was always eating processed foods like on a regular basis. McDonald's was something that I f- knew was unhealthy. But for me, this, the step up that I, I felt that was healthier was Subway. It had a little bit more vegetables. It had a little bit more nutrients in my mind, but I didn't even think that there was something that was bad for me because I never learned about nutrition in medical school. They don't teach you anything about nutrition. So for me, it was like, okay, I need something quick and fast. So this is what I'm going to do is go eat at a fast casual restaurant or a fast food restaurant. So this is how I was living my life. The typical standard American diet that consumed of processed food and refined sugars. That was a staple of my diet. So I had to change it. So, eliminating all the sugars in my, in, in my so that the cancer cells could, could not grow, um, I would give me a chance at least by controlling the diet. And the other thing that I was doing was I had to switch into an organic diet and I had to eat more vegetables and fruits. Vegetables and fruits, uh, as I learned, had a lot of phytonutrients and a lot of things that could help with reducing inflammation and provide the necessary nutrients for my body last time I ate vegetables was like when I was in high school, you know, eating my mom's like home cooking. And it's ridiculous. And it's, and it's really sad to admit as a physician, that's the last time I ate vegetables and fruits. And so I, I, it was just, that was the hardest transition for me was to change my diet because my body wasn't used to it. But I was like, I literally had a gun to my head and I was like, I have to change now. So I did. Um, I, I learned over a period of a few weeks to, to adjust my diet. Um, and I at least had some kind of control over my situation. Um, but that's the first thing that I did was to really um, change my diet and, and as a means of changing my lifestyle. As I read more and I was reading about things, I understood that my body was full of inflammation as that was a leading cause of my disease. Inflammation, as we know, um, can lead to chronic conditions. There's different types of um, inflammation. There's acute which we all know is when our bodies have like an injury or some kind of like a bruising that occurs, you'll have this uncomfortable pain and some swelling. That's all signs of acute inflammation. But what happens over a period of time, like months to years, it's chronic inflammation, stuff that we don't see on the inside. Um, it's just brewing from um, periods from, from uh, exposures to largest amounts of toxicity, from our foods, from our environment, uh, this is all, and, and not to mention stress. Stress is a huge factor in terms of inflammation. And as I was learning all these, I was picking up things. I was like, man, I, I, it was a perfect storm for me. I mean, I lived an unhealthy lifestyle. I wasn't sleeping. I was always stressed out from work. Um, and I was always in a situation where I was in fight or flight, you know, um, and I was living in a fight or flight state. And... This was a recipe that I had discovered that was the cause of my cancer. So it was all at this point I had, to, I had an opportunity for me to, to really change things to uh, potentially regress my cancer. Um, unfortunately, what happened to me was that a, as months went on, um, I had to have, go through another set of scans to see what the status of my cancer was. And um, I was having some discomfort in my back and I thought it was just a kidney stone that was going on. Um, when I got the scans, that showed that my um, the cancer had really uh, grew more aggressively. The lymph nodes weren't even um, recognizable anymore. That actually grew so much that all the lymph nodes that were neighboring formed a mass. And this was a huge mass that was just all over my body. And at that point, it was that the reason why I was having pain in my kidney area was because the lymph nodes had actually encroached into my kidney and my ureter. So that was causing me the pain. So at that time. That's when they said, okay, you have to go through chemo. So at that point, I was, I, I was just upset because I literally thought that God was giving me this window of opportunity during this watch and wait period to learn the strategies to regress my cancer and then to teach people, potentially other patients, how to live this lifestyle to change their outcome. But no, I ended up having to go through this cancer and having to go through chemo. And it just at that point, I just shut down. I literally had to, I, I, I went into this isolation mode. I was angry at, um, God, I was angry at people. I was just, I pushed everybody away. Um, and I, and I, I turned into this very, um, this person that just was very distrustful, full of anger. The anger later on, I determined was a a form of depression. I had to, um, essentially, um, live and wake up every morning, to support the household and and the only way that I could do that was to be angry because that fueled and gave me the energy to get through the day so um, that's essentially how things started and ch- changed for me um, and chemo was obviously not an, not a good experience at all and um, I'm sure maybe some of your listeners have, have had chemo in the past But uh, for me, chemotherapy was just—you know—you have no control of your life at that point. You're you just you're basically giving up your control to um, the physicians and to the medicine, hoping that it's going to work. So, just imagine that you you just—you know—a person who like myself, who was always in control of things, always um, had an answer to everything, was really in a position where I didn't know what the next day was going to be like. Um, You know, had basically had like death and fear facing me, um, you know, head on. Um, so it was a new, it was a new type of experience for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of, of how things uh, transpired for me.
0: Holy smokes, man! That sounds uh, incredibly challenging to say the least. I'm curious. I'd love for you to continue that story because, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe are going through a challenge or are specifically something like this, they ideally they can make that change, right? You start to look at. Some of those causes, and, like you said there 's anxiety, depression, diet most i 've had many guests on that discover new diets, and they say, "I was living the American diet, thinking that that was the thing, and realizing not not understanding that it was an awful diet, you know, and so how beneficial a positive diet is, so when you switch that, you hope to get a result um, and you do that. And it can be very hard for people to change because sugar and all that kind of stuff is addicting and it's also easy and it's what you know and it's all of those different things so it's hard to shift so you shift those things then you have to go do chemo and so how did you how did you get through that part to continue on the path of recovery and using western medicine with with the things that you were learning
1: right so it was a challenge going through the process because things actually got worse before it got better and For me, as I was shutting down and was pushing people away, pushing my family, pushing my friends, um, and I was, in, I was also losing contact with, from, um, from people that I knew, but I also started to understand who my real friends were and who were just people who were just acquaintances. Um, so that was clear to me at that point. But as my, my relationship with my, my ex-wife, um, my wife at the time, ex now, started to really um, grow apart that put a strain on our, on the marriage and relationship and on me. Um, She actually ended up leaving um, during my treatment course. And so I remember going to chemotherapy by myself and having to come back uh, because I didn't have anyone to take me to and from. So that was um, a bit hard, but at the same time, it was something that I had to go through. Um, Chemo itself was, was um, it wasn't the type of chemo where you would lose your hair. Um, it was more of a buildup over a period of time. I was feeling fatigued a lot. And I remember, um, my, that my mailbox was, I don't know, maybe 20 yards from my house or so. And I remember just walking to the mailbox and I was so short of breath and I literally had to pause for 10 minutes before I had enough energy to walk back into my house. And that's how bad it, it took a toll on my body. I was supposed to go through six courses of chemo, one a month and um the after the fifth course they said that i i my immune system was pretty shot that i i couldn't stand another course of chemotherapy so they stopped it at 5 um and it was so bad that um if i had contracted a cold or a flu or a virus it would have probably set me into um a stage where i would have been able to recover from that um but at that point um i ended up having um uh, a, uh, a a Rescan, re-imaging studies, and they were determined after my fifth uh, cycle of chemo, of chemoimmunotherapy, that I was um, clean and so I went into remission. And as I wrote in my book, it was at this point when I was found, when I found out that I got, I was in remission, was when I hit rock bottom. It wasn't when I got diagnosed with cancer. It wasn't when I um, uh, started chemotherapy. It was when I got the word that I was in remission. And it's interesting because it was at this point, I had nothing to be angry at anymore. I was, anger was what I was living to fuel myself on a daily basis. And the cancer had consumed my life. I did, and I wasn't working at the time. So I had nothing to live except for the cancer. It was my life inside and out. I mean, 24 seven. So when they told me the news that I was, I mean, you know, I was briefly like elated, but at the same point, I was like, well, who am I going to share this with? You know, my wife, my, my wife at the time we separated, she left. Um, it was me and, and I didn't have any close friends that lived near me. My family was far away. Um, I was in, living in Florida at the time and they were up in the DC area. My, my brothers were in, were in New York. So it wasn't like I had um, immediate family and friends to really um, to help me get over this. So uh, the at at that point, that's when I felt like I hit rock bottom. It was really, uh, it it was just, I, the loneliness, um, was really so, so resonating at that time. It's all I felt. And then my health was obviously such in a, um, horrible state because I had just gone through six months or five months of chemo. So I really figured I, I, I didn't know what else to do. And, um, the, at that point, the next transition change occurred when, I went into the grocery store, and I ended up meeting and bumping into my personal trainer who was training with me for a while before I got sick. And we hit it off really well, and it was like a spark just like came over me, and I was so full of joy and energy because of that relationship that we used to have. We almost rekindled it, just that bond that we had of camaraderie and just being buddies. And then he asked if I wanted to work out again my doctors had cleared me to do whatever I wanted to do within reason. So I felt like, yeah, let's start working out. And it was this process of working out where I, and, and, and bonding with them that really sparked um, the feel good hormones in my system to circulate more. And I started to feel more um, alive. I started to feel more uh, happy and motivated. And, you know, I started to eat well. I started to go back to, um, These changes that I had made during that watch and wait period, right before I got um, told that I needed to start chemo, and because I knew that this was it was just something that I had to follow because it, it was um, to keep me healthy and to optimize my well being. So this was all about um, this is the beginning of where all the changes took place. is right at that point after I started to work out and really bond with my personal trainer.
0: wow okay well that 's interesting you know you in the book i 've seen some of the the chapters and what you 've written about, and one of the themes is is um, basically the the mind body spirit connection, and some of the stuff you're talking about is this way of life that you had before and and how that shifted a little bit. If somebody is going through this or how do you phrase it in the book anyway to start to integrate all of these practices because some people out there, especially if you listen to this this podcast, you look for alternative healing, right? How can I use my mind and my body to heal this? And the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton is excellent. The work of Dr. Joe Dispenza talking about um, using your mind as a tool. And, and there's many cases where we use our mind as a tool to heal our body, but you also want to integrate Western medicine. and But then the challenge, the thing that I've seen out there too, which is really um, causes distrust is you said you went to the doctor and then he has – a financial interest to give you this therapy. And so obviously, that makes people um, who look into that very suspicious, because that's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, But when it's your life and your health on the line, you're trying to make this decision to survive. This is a very uh, hard decision to make. And, you know, you're doing this as a medical doctor, getting these great um, pieces of advice. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you integrate those other the, those other ideas of mind, body, spirit, and, and mindfulness, and all the other elements that you brought in to kind of make a holistic view to move forward.
1: Yeah, so it was for me at that point. Well, I, I was deter- I was learning about these modalities as I was learning them from my integrative fellowship, um, and the most easiest thing to change and to modulate was the body, because there's objective proof. You look at yourself mirror in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm fat. You know, I, my BMI index is, is through the roof. I need to lose weight. I need to change the way I eat. That's the most easiest thing to change because you have this objective way of, of looking at the data and looking at yourself and, and, and understanding that you have to change that. It's the other two things, the mind and the spirit, that kind of it was difficult for me to implement because I didn't really concentrate on that. And I, what I did not do, which I wish I did, was to go to a physician, an integrative physician, um, and basically have that person guide me through all these modalities that are out there. I had to, I had to learn over many years what these modalities were that ultimately helped me, helped me, helped heal me, and keep me in remission. So for me, the body, the mind was the body was one thing that I was working on. And I think I had that down, down pat. It was really modifying my diet. And as I mentioned before, it was eating a really clean diet, really, really being strict in terms of what I put into my body, no processed foods, minimal sugars, if anything, eating really organic stuff. Um, and the whole idea was to really cut down on inflammation. Um, and what I didn't know was that there were other components that I didn't address. And the mind was one of them. And, um, in this specific case, I, my mind, the way my mind always worked was that I didn't know how to live in the moment ever since medical school and growing up, it was all about achieve and look about the future and try to prepare yourself for the future. And so when you're in school and my parents were, were immigrants that came to this country. And so they instilled on me in the very beginning, you only need to concentrate on school. That's the most important thing. Nothing else matters. And so from very beginning, I was always uh, setting a bar for myself or my parents set a bar for me and I had to achieve the bar and was never happy with that bar. I'd have to go and exceed that bar. And then if I did exceed or meet the threshold, I would have to learn a new objective to conquer. So that was my story. And for me, it was, um, it was understanding that the mind component was not about worrying about the future not having anxieties of the future and reflecting on the past and reflecting on things like what if, what if I had done this differently and having regrets because that's how I lived my life. I never understood living in the moment. And that was a huge revelation for me is living in the moment. And what really allowed me to help it was, to, was to really start learning exercises, mindfulness and mind-body exercises. Mindfulness is, is defined as moment to moment awareness that's non judgmental. And for me, that was a revelation because I was always judgmental of myself and of others. And that living in the moment to me was a huge concept that I, I needed to understand. What allowed me to do that was um, through the form of meditation and through breathing exercises, in which I still practice today. And I feel that is the best way to really understand how to live and be in the moment. And when we're living in the moment, there's no worry, there's no anxiety because we're here in the now. We don't have any worries about the future. We don't have any worries or or regrets about the past. It's all about the now. There is none of that in the now. And additionally, I also learned that I was always in a state of fight or flight. And I had been that way since I was born. My mom, um, unfortunately, had um, a little bit of a difficulty in our last trimester of her pregnancy because she had moved over here from India and had me two months later. So didn't have any social support, lost weight during the last trimester. So I came out in fight or flight. So I was always used to being in fight or flight. So I never learned how to be in the moment and live for the now until I started to meditate and started to learn breathing exercises. And it was, the, it was actually the the, uh, the practice of breathing is what how I learned to get out of fight or flight. And that wasn't too long ago. That was maybe about a year, year and a half ago. As I was writing my book, I was learning about the power of now and living in the moment and learning these exercises. There are other ways of of, um, practicing mindfulness. You could also be, uh, other than meditating and breathing, um, you could also do uh, mind-body routines, such as yoga or tai chi. um, And also uh, qigong is another way. So these are different ways to be really um, more in the moment. And ultimately what that does for your person is to help eliminate them and reduce their, uh, their fight or flight mode and put them into a state of uh, rest or digest or parasympathetic. And it's important to be in uh, the latter stage, the, the parasympathetic, because that's a condition where, um, where our body is in a, more, in a less inflammatory state. When we're in fight or flight, it's very inflammatory, it's very stressful, and it puts us into a state where we are more prone to chronic conditions and diseases such as cancer or other chronic conditions. Um, however, if you're more in a state of rest and digest, that is the opposite and that eliminates the potential or mitigates the potential of being in a state where you're developing into a chronic disease or cancer. But these are the things that I, I, I recently learned and I practice. Um, my favorite thing that I, I like to practice is, um, is sound meditation. Uh, I find that that's extremely effective. Um, there's different forms of sound meditation. You could do a sound bath, which is actually um, someone playing either a gong um, and you're just basically laying down and either having the, the sound of the gong and the vibration of the gong will wash over you. There's other things that are like the Tibetan bowls, the crystal bowls that can be played. And the whole idea of this, uh, the third one, which is what I use, is binaural beats. Um, the whole idea is that these frequencies that are emitted by these different instruments actually um, change the brain waves that are in, in your in, in your brain to and to a, a frequency that's more um, familiar with resting and like a meditative state. Uh, for example, if you're listening to binaural beats, um, the way that works is that. If you listen to, on a headset, um, there's a specific frequency in your left ear and there's another frequency in your right ear. Your brain can't understand the two different frequencies, so it cancels the frequencies out. And so by doing that, you're um, listening to a frequency that can be modulated into an alpha or a, or a, or a delta or a um, theta waves. And each one of these different waveforms is a relaxed state. One is in a meditative state, one is in a state where where like it mimics deep sleep. And another state is where we're almost into like a um, uh, REM state pattern. All of these are relaxation because we're able to get out of that fight or flight mode. And to me, it's a poor ways, man, poor man's way of meditating. You don't necessarily have to sit there and think of a mantra or be quiet because these sounds will actually put your mind in more into a meditative state and you'll reap the benefits quickly and uh, um, you'll feel more energized later. So that's my that's that's how I've learned about the mind and the power of the mind and how to calm the mind. Um, then the the last part was is really the spirit um, how I how I developed my spirituality, and I was always grown. I grew up in a religious household, and but I never really um, paid attention. I was just like ah eh, you know I I'm just wait till I'm get out of high school and I'm not really gonna really be concerned much about religion, um, and when I Unfortunately, when I had cancer, I I was upset with God and I didn't, I just really practice any kind of um, reverence or any conversations that I had with God, they no longer existed. But I started to really research my book and I determined that the missing component after the mind was the spirit. It's like my spirit was so shot and I didn't understand that that was a component that needed healing to optimize well-being, well-being. For me, how I, how I really um, understood spirituality or had my spiritual awakening was actually through psychedelic medicines. And I had um, a first experience in the underground area using psychedelics. And it wasn't the experience itself that, w- that got me curious or that had me undergo this spiritual enlightenment. It was more about what happened after. I was very much in a state where my brain stopped like ruminating the self critic that I had in myself that was in my brain that basically ran my life for so many years, like slowed down. It was almost like quiet. And I, I recall driving home from that experience and it was, you know, I don't know, summer day or fall day or yeah, it was, it was like the end of summer and I was driving on the street that I had driven I don't know, maybe hundreds of times before. And I was just looking around and I was like, that building, did that have that tree behind it? What about this crosswalk? How long has this crosswalk been here? And it's stuff that I never noticed because I was always stuck in my head for so long. I I never really noticed what was in front of me, the beauty of what was in front of me that always was there. And it was actually very uh, revealing as to the state of my mind. And I later learned that um, through more psychedelic experiences, I felt a, um, a connection um, with everybody. I experienced what's called this oneness, where we're all connected and we're all one. We're, we're connected to the universe. We're all we're all basically just one one being. And that's kind of what spirituality is. It's basically um, understanding your role in the universe, um, your role, and how it's important to be connected to people. And um, it made sense to me because I was extremely lonely and my loneliness, you know, during the cancer and after I I, um, got better and moved to the DC area from Florida, I was extremely lonely and I didn't, and and that was my, my new normal. And what I found out was through my research is that loneliness is really a huge risk factor for mortality, more so than Pa- uh, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and also it's more so than and than drinking alcohol on a regular basis so to me that spirituality meant that i needed to be out in the community and me- really need to have a sense of community so i immediately started to after researching this that was the next change that i had to do was to like form bonds with people and and be and and, and really develop relationships more so than just being alone and So that was, that was a huge healing phase um, for me. Um, And it definitely was contributed uh, to the utilization of of psychedelics. Um, I think it's a very useful medication, useful way. Um, There's a lot of research, positive research on psychedelics. And where I later learned that that quieting of my mind after that experience was, um, there was this quieting of what's called this default mode network that's in our brain. It's where our ego is housed. It's where our self-critic criticisms are, are housed. And using a specific psychedelics, specifically psilocybin or magic mushrooms, it kind of quiets this and it actually reduces um, um, this self-critic and it resets it. So um, there's so many other studies that we can talk about about the, uh, the effectiveness of, of, and the power of psychedelics. But in a nutshell, I mean, that's pretty much how I have transformed myself through mind, body, and spirit. And that's how I came up with the title. Um, and I really feel that that's the way to heal cancer and to really optimize well-being is all, it's all through a balance of mind, body, and spirit.
0: Wow, man, that was all excellent. I'm, I'm so grateful for you sharing all of that in more detail because I think it's super important. And I've had other guests on the show who have had, very serious illnesses, and their shifts are very similar to yours. It seems to ha- need this holistic o- approach. Diet is is one thing, uh, mindfulness and like lifestyle, just understanding what your life is like. And you shared so many important points there. One of them was, you know, growing up, um, you know, the son of an immigrant family, and it brings up kind of a point for me because I've I've met a lot of different people. You know, going to Burning Man, um, it's always fascinating because there's so many walks of life and and I noticed that um, the Indian culture and especially the uh, Asian culture, it's, it's very enforced, like go to school, do, not all, but just a large degree of the people I speak to in it. And if you don't, you're kind of like your family's disappointed and you don't want to disappoint your mom. You don't want to disappoint your dad. Um, and that's the way to go. And then also in our society, we've got the kind of... Um, materialistic society it's got to be achieve goal achieve more better house better car more money all that kind of stuff that's very perpetuated in our society then we've got the younger generation uh, not all but some it's coming up where they're not really working very hard you know what i mean they're not they're not doing a lot they're kind of like expecting a lot of things they're not really putting a lot of um you know effort forward and so on the one hand when you come over as an immigrant you say hey we have an opportunity here to get things we've never had before. You don't even understand that. And so that work ethic is super important for us to build and achieve what we want. But I feel like sometimes you can go too far. You know, on the flip side, you know, some of the culture they've they've already had those things. So they never had to work hard to achieve anything. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit about that balance, because for me, what I think is most useful is working hard toward meaningful authentic goals right but when we're just working hard because we have someone else's goals in mind, because we have somebody else's life in mind, because we're just trying to get more because that's what we're supposed to do. It's not really the, the best thing. You don't need to 10x that or get more of that. I feel like if you can get really aligned and authentic with who you are, you know, take care of your diet, take care of your body, take care of your relationships, um, and really think about what it is that you want to offer, what it is that you want to do. Um, then you can work hard to achieve that because it's going to take effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take all those things, but it's going to be meaningful for you. And naturally, as a byproduct, I think you have less stress. Like you're going to be stressed in – what is it, you stress in something else? Like one of them is a positive stress. One of them is a negative stress. It's going to be something that you define for yourself to work towards. And, you know, with the psychedelic awakening thing, um, you know, I've seen a lot of great evidence for that too – And the the default mode network's a big thing because when we are moving about our days, the mind is so interesting in a way that it can just get into a rut and we can run the same cycle for a week, a month, a year, um, 10 years, our entire life on these motivating factors and just getting up, going to work and, you know, doing the whole drive of work and not noticing anything, doing a whole week of work and and it going by and not notice anything. So what would you kind of like reflect back on that? And how would you like steer someone towards there? Because I feel like health is the foundation to creating your life purpose. If your body is killing you, it's resetting everything so that you can build upon your own values. And having a bunch of guests recently that really specialized in health, um, that was the thing for them. That health crisis became their spiritual awakening and they reassessed everything. And so when you have a near death experience, it does that too, because you're like, holy crap, I might not be here forever. What am I doing? What's most important to me? How do I get rid of all this stuff that's not serving me and move a little bit more towards things that are more um, aligned with who I am? And so maybe you can comment on all that.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I think you have to dissect that a little bit and understand that if you're in a situation and you're living life in a constant state of stress, that is something that you need to modulate ASAP. And I can't stress that anymore. And I did not know what that was like until I started to understand and realize that I was living trauma that was not necessarily passed on through my, my, um, my parents, but because of I was experiencing trauma in utero and I was constantly, constantly in a state of fight or flight. And this was what set my stage to be in um, chronic inflammation, which led to cancer. So any additional stress that was placed on my body, such as eating a a bad diet, in in this case, eating the standard American diet, you know, being in a state where I was um, depressed, being in a state where I was lonely. And we're not talking about loneliness as in like, okay, um, you can remedy that by being with 20 people or at a party. It's about connection, you know? So, I never felt connected with anybody. And that was another contributory thing to feeding me, feeding my cancer. And the whole point is, is that you really need to enjoy what you're doing. You know, someone, a a teacher told me one time is like, if you have a scale of stress from, from one to 10, one being no, no stress and 10 being a very stress. um, What do you rate a person who is a professional NBA player? What type of, number would you think that they're in intuitively i'm like well because this is how i relate it to myself I'm like they must be at a high level of stress you know because they're performing at a high level and no in fact this was an eye-opener for me they're living they're 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 not stressed they're enjoying what they're doing their stress levels are one or in two they're just and they're able to perform at such a high peak because they're at a very low level stress stress rate And I think that's really important. I think we need to assess ourselves and understand that we don't need to live a life where we're in a constant state of stress or in fight or flight. You know, if you are able to modulate that or have a means of understanding that you are in a state of fight or flight, then you can quickly determine things to counteract that. And that's why I like wearing wearables. Um, Like I always measure my heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is, in essence, um, a measurement of the resilience of your stress levels. So in, in, for layman's terms, you know, to, be, uh, to try to make it, explain it to you really easy, there is a, um, a, a rating on a scale of zero. And the ceiling, there is no ceiling in, an, in a numerical scale. So your HRV, if it's low, that means you're predominantly in fight or flight or sympathetic. If it's higher, that means you're more in the parasympathetic state. Before I started the work of psychedelics and understanding what my body was doing, I was at an HRV level of like 10, 15, you know, even 20 at the tops, which is horrible. And um, I've been working on hacking my, my body where I'm understanding to live in more of a rest or digest state and not be in so much fight or flight. You know, so last night, my HRV overnight was 60, which is a pretty good day for me. Um, and then I ask friends what their HRVs are and they're like, oh, mine's in an 80, 90, hundred. And I'm like, that's awesome because I like to see that because it tells me that people are understanding it already and they have mastered ways or they just live in their life full of happiness and they just don't have, they don't live in a state where they're constantly stressed out. Um, and so for me, that's a, I was a huge awakening for me and I think it's about approaching life. Um, in a way where it's, you're not stressing out over every little thing and you're taking happiness and you're, you're, you're doing things that bring you joy, whatever it is that that's bringing you joy, that needs to be concentrated on. And those actions need to be more of your focus instead of worrying about stuff, worrying about the future, having regrets about the past and more concentrating on being in the moment, in the here and now.
0: Those are all really great suggestions. And and I like how you brought uh, technology into it because that is a very um, measurable way to see where you are and to know what's normal. You know, um, people in different cultures and countries may think, McDonald's and pop and all that kind of stuff is normal because that's what everybody does. Um, And you might not know what it feels like to have a lot of energy. You might not know what it feels like to live inspired or happy, or you might not know what it even feels like not to be stressed out because you've just experienced that way of being for so long. You have no idea what the alternative is. And so uh, bringing technology into it can really help you because you might you might use that technology to research what other people's numbers are, what they're doing, and you can have a very uh, viable and concrete way to measure what you're going through. And I think it's a good lead-in to kind of ask you about. Uh, we talked a little bit about the coronavirus because um, I recently interviewed Stephen Kotler, and I've been trying to figure out what's going on here. But I I had the same thought that he did. He said there's three uh, pandemics. The first is the virus. The second is fear. And I've spoken about that one. And then the third, he said, is, uh, is the collaboration, the community that's being formed to fight this. And now there's a lot of different information out there about how bad it is. Um, it's leveling off. It's getting worse. Everything under the sun. I'll just say I have no idea. Uh, you know, I've, I go down the conspiracy road. Some people say they're conspiracy this, and it's a positive thing. It's a conspiracy this, and then it's a negative thing. Some people say stay inside, and I'll still get you and, and watch out. What I can be sure about is that if we go at something with fear, it's not going to be useful. Um, any kind of um, first responder, uh, Navy SEALs, paramedics, anybody in that, they're going into a situation which is, is uh, challenging. It might be a fire. It's, that is real danger that they're going to go into. So the virus could be real danger. And maybe it's way worse than we ever thought. And okay, that would be the real danger. But if we, if we approach it with fear, it's going to increase um, the probability of us getting it and also getting ill from it and decrease the probability of us being able to heal from it, just like someone goes through cancer, right? That's, that's the most um, wild and extreme test of healing yourself from something extraordinary that the body is not cooperating and you have a very real possibility of death. But if somebody stays in the emotion of fear and anxiety and depression, you being a medical doctor can answer this better than I can. It seems evidence shows the likelihood of the cancer increasing and maybe even allowing you to die or taking your life is higher. So you need to actually move to the opposite. So I'm curious if you can kind of speak on that and maybe elaborate on any of those points. But for, for this thing that's going on, a lot of people are, are afraid. And if you watch the news, there's a lot of reason to be afraid, you know? Um, but I feel like, We as a society and have an individual can look at what's going on, um, be able to kind of assess the information. And I I need to do a little episode on um, my YouTube channel about this, but I studied uh, persuasion for a long time, Edward Bernays, things like that. So, you know, the headline of our newspaper said 150 million people could die. Well, there's no context there. If you just read that, that's a terrifying thing. I could say um, pink unicorns are flying across the rainbow. And you have to imagine that. So without context, you're you're hit with that initial fear. But when you are able to read the information, get some of the facts and figures, put it into a context, it's much less frightening and you can um, handle it in a much better way. Your body will feel less stress. Um, But what's happening through the media is they're increasing that stress through the worst possible scenario, things like that, right? So um, that's important for people to be able to look at the information, to um, put it into a, uh, into a powerful perspective because most people, not everyone, but most people, even if you're at their higher risk, it's very possible that you could overcome this. It's not 100%. So that's one thing, same with cancer. That's even more terrifying. You have a very real possibility of death, but if you wanna move to the side of people that go into remission, these are some of the things that have proven uh, that will increase your likelihood. So, decreasing stress, um, improving your diet, mindfulness, all of these things, we can, we can increase our probability because in life, we know that nothing is certain. And so, I feel like one of those pandemics is fear. And I see that being really perpetuated through Facebook and through media. And I don't find it to be helpful. I feel like we really need to know. The facts and figures of what's going on, to be very mindful of what what's happening and in the, in the information that's coming out, but to empower individuals with very empowering frames and understanding the information so that we don't go into that fear state. Because me as a healthy guy, you know, 36 now, if I have a cold and I go into the hospital, and then maybe I contract it there, and then I bring it home to my family, or maybe I freak out again, and then I go to the hospital, and I'm taking up a bed where there's a 79-year-old who needs that medicine. They need me to be strong. They need me to not freak out, to look at what the symptoms are, to heal myself, to be in my empowerment, but then if it gets to a level where I now understand, whoa, I need a hospital because I'm, I can't breathe, then I go and do that. But to have that firm understanding. So I said a lot of words to try to draw out that scenario because I'm curious how you feel about this. And, and as somebody who's gone through something that is much more terrifying than the coronavirus because the mortality rate on cancer is much higher and you're dealing with that over a duration of time. So you had a, you're able to go through a longer version of what people are experiencing a micro version. But that same intensity of fear, because they're like, oh, if I get it, will I die? It's a very terrifying thing. And so, uh, yeah, please share your thoughts.
1: Right. <laughs> a lot, lot to reflect on there. But the biggest theme that I think that um, we can discuss or that I could assist with is dealing with the fear and the anxiety. It is the same concept as having the fear and anxiety um, when dealing with cancer and dealing with this specific virus. Because in actuality, it all is reflection and stress on our immune system. So all the the modalities that we discuss in terms of healing the mind, body, and spirit can be applicable to, to today's scenario where we're trying to boost our immune system to fight the virus. If we don't have an optimal immune system, we will be susceptible to the virus. And if we can employ strategies to boost our immune system, as we've been discussing on this, on this show, these are strategies that I would recommend for any situation to boost your immune system. And the fear and anxiety, yes, that's perpetuated by the media. It's also perpetuated by social media as well. And it's, 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 not, it's, it's actually causing us the fear and anxiety. So the obvious thing to do is just turn this off, turn this, like, this trigger that's constantly on and let's just, just shut it off. And then we're also faced to be in, we're also forced to be in, to, to practice social distancing. And yes, social distancing is needed, and I do uh, I, I adhere to it, and I believe in it. But social distancing does not mean social isolation, right? We can sit there and combat that by using technology and using other modes to connect with others. When's the last time you've actually talked to a person on a telephone? You know, that's the kind of, I grew up in, you know, in in the time and era where phones were were utilized to to call one another. And now we're used to being in a society where we're like texting and it's these short answers where typically it's taken out of contacts and it can be be, um, totally misunderstood and it's not a mode of connection. And that's what we're needing right now is to connect with individuals. Now, Even though we're forced at home and to stay at home, we still have ways of connecting with other people. We can communicate through these, through Zoom and, and, other, and FaceTime and other video conferencing um, uh, technologies that are available to us. We can also pick up the phone and call people and connect like we used to when we were younger, or at least when I was younger. And interesting enough for me, it's like I have um, my parents live close by. My brother lives in New York and his family live in New York and my other brother lives in Kenya. We're on a Zoom conference every week, and we've never done this before as a family. And it's great because it's, it's increasing our connectivity and our bonding with one another. And what does that do that reduces the fear, that reduces the anxiety, and that boosts our immune system? Like I said before, loneliness is a risk factor for mortality. And in, the, and in this specific case, if we apply, it's also a risk factor for decreasing our immune system. So we really need to employ strategies to increase our immune system. And I'm not talking about supplements and medicines. That's a whole secondary thing. Let's do it from a, an energetic perspective. Okay. Let's connect on, on, on a level where we have connection as a human being. And let's also eliminate things that are stressful to us, like watching the television, going on social media and reading posts from other people that may or may not be true because they're just feeding articles left and right. And that's what I've been saying. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's fake. I don't, you know, it, just leave me alone with this battery of information that's out there. And so that's what how I've been doing it. I've been keeping my busy myself busy personally by doing shows like this. Why? Because it helps people. And that's the other thing that I find that's, that's really useful to combat the the situation of loneliness. The cure to that is being of service to others. If we can be in a in a situation where we're being of service to others we can we're, we're, we're less selfish and that's another way of energetically boosting our immune system and i feel those are the type of the things that we really need to concentrate on the other thing that we've we've hit on this like we've probably belabored this point over and over again but i can't stress it enough is the diet i mean you know what i've seen which is great is that people are staying at home and they're cooking more this is awesome right? That's another way of really boosting our immunity and eliminating the processed foods and eliminating the crap and, and eating healthier, eating more vegetables. People are eating together as a family at the dinner table now. I think this is a great thing. But in, and it's unfortunate that we've had to have the virus and, and, and social restriction in place to really go back to way what we used to be as a family. And the family unit is getting stronger. Yes, it's, it's, it can be a little... Um, i because we're around them all the time, but in all in all, you know, it's what we need to be as societies to bond as a community. And in in addition, I, um, there was this um, meditation that um, I can't remember which society put this up, but it was a meditation over the weekend. It was timed on April 4th and it was at 10 45 PM Eastern standard time. And it was, a, it, was, it was an international meditation, like uh, something that, that someone put together. And we were all supposed to meditate around this time. And we were supposed to visualize. It was a guided meditation that we we're supposed to visualize. And the power of it was, the theory was, if we had enough people that meditated at the same time, I don't remember what the threshold was, but it was some you know, a few hundred thousand people, you know, or whatever it was, but the threshold, once it's reached, it can have an impact and a change on illness, on things that are around us. Now you can believe it or not, but what's interesting is, is that Saturday when that meditation occurred, Monday was the first day that we started to see a flattening of this curve. Right? We started to see a decrease in the number of cases that were going into the hospitals, specifically in, in New York. And we started to see um, like places like in China, I think they reported they didn't have a death that occurred overnight. And it was the first time ever. So whether or not this meditation had an effect, I, I don't know, but I'd like to think so. Uh, and it's things like this that we can elevate the collective energy and the vibration uh, of ourselves and the people around us. And that is another way of energetically boosting our immune system. So these are strategies and things that I feel that's important. Rather than taking uh, a pill or an antibiotic, you know, those are all good and that's, and that's fine. And it has its place in Western society, but there's other ways where we can boost our immune system that's cheaper and, and brings more fulfillment
0: amazingly well said i i i love how you put all that with such practical information but also really good frames around all of it i've definitely seen a lot of research um i've had a lot of research on um the unified field um i don't know if it's true but i've seen some very interesting experience i had uh, roger nelson on from the global uh I think it's Global Consciousness Institute, one of those, uh, Roger Nelson. He's a really interesting guy. And so there is some studies and information out there about the group field and the coherence. Worst case scenario, you go into a coherent field. Um, Best case scenario, we are affecting the field. And I did see the study. I don't know how verified it is, but it's come up a bunch on the uh, Chicago meditators meditating. It was a thousand people meditating on peace in Chicago and it ended up decreasing it by like 23%. I think if you put in those words, you'll find it. And it's and apparently the mayor was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Like it's not going to work. And then it worked. And he was like, huh. So, you know, if we do have these um, situations we can do something In worst case scenario, you go into a coherent field. So when I'm going out into the world, if I'm stressed out, if I'm angry, um, I'm driving different. You know what I mean? I might be less forgiving of somebody cutting me off. You know, I know that I'm, when I'm irritated, I'm, I'm less patient with my partner. You know, and I might yell at her or something. And so, um, you know, I don't know, or just be more short, right? And that's because I'm stressed out. So the best thing that we can do is have our own hygiene, our own health, our own immune system, our own spiritual, mental, emotional hygiene to the best of our ability from wherever we are. Um, and then if we can spread that. And what you said about, Uh, The best cure for loneliness is service to others. I think that's so wonderful. And I think that when people get into their authentic way of being, when they're healthy, when they're happy, when they're living life by their own values and really reflecting on what's most important to them, it is always of service to others. Whether you want to start a business, you know, you can make a lot of money um, by doing something of value to someone else. The problem is when profit is your bottom line, you're not, you're not thinking, you know, like the chemo guy, you know what I mean? Especially when it's friggin you, someone else's health, you know, that guy needs to be flogged with a stick. Um, you know, that's where people are skeptical, but when an individual can think about who they are, what, how they want to contribute, they should be super successful in business because they're contributing, Um, A lot of things, you know, to the world. And I think that that's what's kind of upside down in our world right now and kind of coming to light is looking at our financial system, you know, looking at the owners of the banks, looking at these big corporations that might not be putting the planet first, they might not be putting people first, and just saying, hey, we need some sort of I don't know about regulations, but even if it's like cultural understanding that we we've got to really honor our planet, we've got to honor our brothers and sisters, we've got to honor people in all cultures, it's not okay, just because they don't live near us to exploit human uh, labor, you know, we need to set up food, water education for all people. And that's kind of one of the things I put on Facebook there was like, you know, no one's really cared that 9.1 million people have been dying of starvation each year. You know, we need to look at this as a global humanity. And when you shared about your family coming together, I think that's a beautiful thing. It, it's like, you know, your family's always going to be there for you and it, and it makes you feel safe. You know, I don't care how old you are. You can tell me if this is true for you, but if I'm sick, love my mom to be around you know what I mean I don't care I'm 30 36 (laughs) and you know reasonably strong and fit and you know but like if I'm sick man my mom's the best and so that comfort of the family being there for you and that gives you strength you know I think the isolation makes you feel like you're alone and and it's then all those negative thoughts come in and you know but when you got your brother there when you got your mom there when you got hopefully you, you hopefully you have someone in your life that's like that or a friend um, you know, that's a really important thing. So I really hope that if you're listening, you have that. But to bring, yeah, bring them together is a beautiful thing. And I think there's a lot of beautiful things coming from this as well. If we can look at what's going on and choose how we're going to respond as individuals and as a society and as a culture. So um, I've really enjoyed all of this. Um, I love your input on everything and, and you have a very grounded approach to all of this. I'm sure your book is going to be amazing. Um, and super helpful for people going through probably one of the scariest human experiences possible um, to shed some light and experience through from a doctor's point of view, which I think is really important because, you know, I've, I've had it in my family, you know, and, and it's a scary thing. But I wanted to ask, if there, is there anything that you wish that we had touched on? Is there anything that you'd like to touch on before we, we close it out?
1: You know, I think the only thing that I wanted to comment real quickly was um, and I'm sure you probably have I've been exposed to this to the media or whatnot, is that these months that our world has been practicing uh, social distancing and being more at home, it's actually interesting how we've seen changes in our climate. You know, like L.A., for example, they're not facing any smog that they're used to. Um, there has been reports that there have been dolphins that were swimming in the channels of Venice. That's never been happened before. I did a podcast with somebody that was out in in Sydney, um, Australia, that were saying that there were like storks that were out on, on the beaches that never have been there before. And it's like it's it's almost like Mother Nature is resetting. And it, it was it's been facing such horrible. Things that we've been doing to it as a society and as a world for so many years, you know, I kind of wonder if this is a, a reset that Mother Nature needs, or maybe this is what Mother Nature wanted, you know, for for it to be respected, and um, that's kind of what I, I've come to the conclusion. It's like I want to be more Earth friendly. As a result, I've always been that way, but that's been more conscious for me now. Um, and again, it's 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 contributing to Mother Earth and it's being of service. So I, I think that's um, that's kind of what I hope that people can take home from this.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and your work and for writing the book and, and just sharing so candidly, something that's obviously really personal and really challenging. Where can people find more about you and your book and everything that you've got going on?
1: Yeah. So my website from dr has patientcom um, has uh, my blogs and we actually do weekly podcast releases and those podcasts can be found on Spotify or on iTunes. Uh, we also have a link to, my, um, my, to Amazon on my site and where you can find my book, From Doctor to Patient. Um, and um, just, yeah, again, we do weekly releases of podcasts that are basically in the field of health and wellness.
0: Amazing, cool, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing. Um, I invite everybody listening to check out the book because it is as I went through it's definitely applicable to all people, no matter where you are, um, but especially if you're dealing with something like this or or anything else um, from from interviewing many different people um, from many different walks of life and, and healing themselves of something like that, that criteria is the same criteria for everybody. Um, you know, you have to have all of those elements in. Um, and so the way that you're when, when you are experiencing something like that, if you see evidence of somebody getting through the other side, it gives you hope just like the four minute mile. Nobody could do the four minute mile. Somebody does the four minute mile. Now it becomes possible. So feed yourself. um, positive. I wrote about it today. Positive mental nutrients. You know what I mean? Inspiring stuff to encourage yourself, to know that you are powerful, that you are supported and give yourself the best opportunity for change and transformation. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your work. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks, guys, for watching. Peace. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the show. If you do want to support getting the word out there, please share this. Leave a review in iTunes. Go to mattbelair.com. Sign up for the email list. You can also become a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash Belair or join the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Academy. And when you do, you'll get access to the amazing Soul Compass course. I would love to have you there getting your feedback. Your questions and just making the academy, the exclusive content, the course even better with your feedback. And during this time, we're doing a pay as you want. So just hit me up, Matt Belair or Matt at ZenAthlete.com or DM me on Instagram or anywhere and let me know what you can afford. Um, And happy to get that course and have you in the academy. And it also supports the show so I can keep doing these and uh, bringing you the best guests and information possible. So thank you so much for listening to this. I hope that you are well, safe, and happy.